0: Welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. Today I am talking to Molly Heinz, who is the chair of SVA's design research program. Uh, that program has come up so often on this podcast, and I've talked to two other alumni, Ann Kito and Bryn Smith, which are great episodes that uh, you should definitely listen to, and I'm just generally a big fan of that program and what they are doing, so I was really interested in talking to Molly about how she thinks about that work and her mission and the goals for that department. But before she joined SVA, Molly studied archaeology and worked as an art historian and an editorial director and was actually a student at SVA before joining the faculty. And in this episode, we talk about that background and her journey from archaeology to design and the kind of pendulum in her career that has swung between the more academic and the more commercial, uh, and how she's kind of navigated that. And then we talk about the current state of design discourse and how to get more designers interested in theory and criticism, as well as how to write for a general audience and the types of people that come through SVA's design research program and the types of jobs that they get after. I loved this conversation. I love the work that Molly's doing at SEA and obviously love that they are thinking about a lot of the same things that I talk about each week on this podcast. And so it was so great to talk to her and get some insight into how they think about these things and how they think about teaching design criticism, which is obviously something that uh, I am very interested in. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Molly Heinz. Alexandra Lang who first told me to talk to you. She oh, was yeah. I think the first person I talked yeah. second person I talked to okay. also and said so that you're, you'd be a great person to talk to and I had known of you and knew that you were here, but I actually don't really know much about you other than that. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to start with just a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to
1: mm-hmm.
0: SVA and, mm-hmm. and we'll start there and use that as kind of a jumping-off point.
1: Sure. Um, so, like Alexander Ling, I uh, am a historian, and I'm coming at this from a history oh, angle. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, I actually came to SVA specifically um, as a student. I was a I saw that. graduate yeah. student yeah. in this program in its first iteration, which was a two-year um, MFA program called Design right. Criticism. Yeah. And um, three years ago, it converted to... a one-year master's program called Design Research, Writing, and Criticism. It's basically the same program. It's like an intensified version of the uh, MFA. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, uh, I think uh, the intention was to appeal to people who were had been out in the world working and uh, wanted to come back and may not have felt it was viable to take two years off. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I came to SVA um, as a student originally, and then um, I kind of, Uh, stayed connected to SVA after graduating from the program because there were four of us in my class who banded together and started what we called an editorial consultancy, Right, called Superscript, and we didn't really uh, uh, have a completely clear definition of what that meant, (laughs) and on purpose, we were like, well, this, uh, you know, this uh, sounds like a good umbrella title for us, and let's put that out there and see what projects come our way. Okay. Um, with the idea uh, we wanted to be um, working on projects that uh, you know, fell into the category of editorial, let's say, um, writing, um, whether it may be uh, books or websites or, um, or the more content-oriented kinds of projects, mm-hmm. um, and ideally working with architects and designers on okay. them. So um, you know, all of us were coming from, or four of us coming from different backgrounds ourselves. Um, uh, I was coming from uh, this sort of humanities history background, but also had been working in communications with architects and okay. designers okay. Uh, before I came to uh, the graduate program. And then um, uh, Avinash Rajagopal, um, Another colleague was coming from an industrial design background. Uh, Vera Saketti okay. was coming from a graphic okay. design background. Eileen okay. Kwan was coming from more of a literature background right. and had been doing some work um, in um, communications as well for uh, design publishers. And mm-hmm. so uh, we all kind of brought different things to the table. And um, you know we had this idea that you know, four heads are better than, than one. Right. And um, so our idea was... Yeah. Uh, know to really uh, hopefully be able to work on these projects with designers but very far upstream and uh, okay. essentially and not be uh, the person that got called up at the 11th hour when somebody needed to do a copy oh. edit Right. but okay. be involved in uh, developing these projects in a fundamental way and have um, you know some sort of uh, uh, strategic engagement as well as some sort of um, and, uh, execution in terms mm-hmm, of the, mm-hmm. the writing to what that strategy yeah. was. So, um, being able to be involved in project kind of from start to finish as um, people wearing the writer editor hats. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, your you said your background originally was in history. Yes. What was that yeah. focus?
1: Archaeology. So okay. Yeah, I came to my my kind of um, the first sparks of interest in architecture and design came out of studying archaeology okay
0: that was the reason i was asking is i was trying to figure out where the design or the kind of visual culture part came in
1: yes so um that uh yeah happened in undergrad and um i sort of um stumbled into it i i um had been someone growing up i um had parents who were really engaged with the the arts, and um, okay. even though they were, they were physicians, but they really um, enjoyed participating in uh, arts-related activities and uh, you know, cultural activities, and so yeah. I was exposed to all of that, but um, you know, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, okay. and even though there's a, there's some um, great design schools there, like at North Carolina State, um, yeah. uh, you know, I personally, uh, growing up in my education, really was never... Um, told what design was right, and, right. Um, yep. You know, I think uh, I was much more tuned into art and fine arts uh-huh. and uh, definitely a visual person. Even now, you know, and i always, um, you know, was someone who would do like, sketches and stuff. And but um, I'm not willing to call myself an artist, but but I was always attracted to um, that side of uh, the arts world and uh, the visual side. and And then I uh, ended up signing up for a Greek ancient Greek course my first year wow. at Duke. Um, because okay. to, cause I, I just sort of out of, uh, you know, sheer curiosity. Um, and this is undergrad? It's undergrad, okay. yeah. Wow. And uh, there was a language requirement, and I'd been taking French, and I was sort of ready to, like, try something else. And um, I had just opened the uh, the course bulletin, and I was like, oh, ancient Greek, that's pretty cool that they even yeah. <laughs> take this. Yeah. I had always been interested in... Uh, um, uh, mythology, and so I was like, oh, well, this is a you know interesting kind of angle on that, and uh, through that course, I got involved in the classics department at Duke, and uh, through that got um, to know this professor named John Younger, who was an archaeologist himself, and uh, had done a ton of work in Greece, and uh, taught a course, introductory course to archaeology. And, um, That's so interesting. Yeah, and so... You know, I um, really was uh, getting exposed to design in this uh, through that through that lens, and which was really interesting because you know, um, you know, they don't call it design. Archaeologists don't call it design either. Right. They call it material culture. Oh, that's it. I have not thought about that. Yeah. So, so of course it is design. Uh, Yeah. uh, They don't talk about it in terms of design per se, uh, as we wood here in right. this department at SVA. So, so um, yeah, um, I ended up gravitating towards what kind of fell into this you know, big category of material culture, like the yeah. objects of everyday life, Right. you know, and um, so, you know, I ended up um, uh, going to, on a trip to Greece with, like, uh, student trip to Greece with John Younger and, you um, and, being exposed to like, firsthand a lot of amazing uh-huh. sites and um, uh, uh, ancient architecture uh-huh. and design, and uh, and then um, really just fell in love with it. Um, but you know, same for architecture. I was exposed to it uh, in this kind of funny way yeah. through uh, essentially like floor plans. Um, right. Yeah. You know, you're uh, that's what you're gonna kind of live with. Um, on a dig, maybe there's some remains of a wall oh. or something but you have to try to figure out what's going on in a you know, former structure based on a floor plan, yeah. and um, so I still today have an obsession with floor plans. And uh, um,
0: so, when you when you came to SVA as a student, what were you hoping? Or let, let me rephrase the question: What were you doing, kind of, right before that? And then, what what was your reason for coming here? Like, what were you hoping to do after?
1: So, so I um, just completely immersed myself in the ancient world for okay. many years, and uh, decided I wanted to get a PhD. Um, okay. And I, uh, um, the program that made the most sense for me was a PhD in the history of art and architecture at the time, and. Um, so I uh, went to Harvard to do that and got a master's and uh, did my PhD exams. I got my PhD uh, um, proposal approved. And then, like one day, I was just sitting in the library and I said <laughs> so to myself, um, I just feel so isolated and yeah. out of touch with like, my contemporary culture. And it was, uh, it was just, uh, I, um, I think probably a lot of people working on PhD feel that way from time to time. But, um, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it really was uh, kind of a lightning bolt to me that uh, happened one day in the library. And I was like, you know, I, I do love this material, but I feel the need to be much more engaged with the time I live in. Yeah, and you know, this may come from having parents who were doctors and um, a grandmother who was a social worker, and okay. um, and uh, you know, I just felt that uh, there was a personal mandate for me to I'd apply what I was learning to
0: yeah uh, the time I lived yeah. in,
1: and um, so I peeled off from my PhD program and uh, started working for some magazines, um, and. Uh, which I really enjoyed just writing, you know, for this very kind of pop culture stuff, (laughs) like even writing about fashion, for example, but I had a blast, it was really fun, and I enjoyed the pace of magazine publishing, it was really different than uh, uh, working on a PhD, obviously, and and so um, just uh, randomly, I um, ended up uh, talking to a friend who had just moved to New York, and uh, a job at Rockwell Group Architecture and Design, oh, yeah. and she said, you know, by the way, they're looking for someone to help them wrap up this book project, that mm. they started, and they really need their own deadline, and they need some help, and so I uh, uh, ended up taking this job at Rockwell, and, um, and then ended up working on Rockwell Group's um, second book, which I edited with um, Chi Perlman, who's...
0: Is um, that the big, it's like a red, I think it's a red yeah, a cover, spectacle. is a big one. Yeah, yes,
1: so... Um, yeah, and that was that was a fascinating project. We uh, worked on it with Bruce Mount Design, oh, yeah. and so they were very involved from the beginning, and uh, and it was published by FIDON first in two thousand six and reprinted in two thousand thirteen. And uh, it was, uh, in short, and larger a look at larger-than-life events uh, around the world and right. um, these right. things that uh, we call spectacles. Um, and it was looking at them, looking at them from a design point of view. And uh, from David Rockwell's perspective, why they were valuable in terms of bringing people together in real time, real space. Yeah. And um, um, so, from after Spectacle wrapped up, I was, uh, I would say, probably a little burnt up and uh, ready for a change. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, someone contacted me about a. Um, job at Gensler Architecture, okay. and which uh, if you know Rockwell and you know Gensler, they are pretty much uh, on the opposite ends of I know Rockwell
0: really well. Yeah. I know the name Gensler, yeah. but that's about it.
1: So Gensler actually is uh, uh, one of, if not the largest architecture firm in the world, but they are pretty oh, okay. under the radar about it, or huh. they had been, and uh, now they're um, uh, not as much, but uh, at the time they... They were, in part, because they did not have a really uh, developed communications program, mm. I would say. So they um, started out as a firm doing interiors based in San Francisco, and they grew and grew and grew. And um, at the time I joined them, um, I believe they had something like 25 offices around the world. And now oh, they wow. have some more like 40 offices around the world. But um They um, wanted to create the position of essentially like a communications director for um, uh, a region. So the idea being that because the firm was so big, um, even though there was a media relations person, Mm -hmm. they needed Mm -hmm. someone kind of thinking more strategically about you know what uh, 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 they were doing, how they were describing what they were doing, and. Um, being able to have that communication actually sync with their business development goals right, for the region, right. so it was um, a fantastic learning experience for me. Um, it was a uh, uh, because Gensler is a if um, anything, it is an extremely well-run business. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So I learned um, a lot about business in that job and a oh, lot about the business desa- mm-hmm. the side of a design firm and. Um, some very kind of very practical real world marketing related Uh issues and business development issues and um, you know just about um, running an office and running a studio and managing it and um, backlog issues and you know how do you you know keep uh, ahead of the game in terms of of staffing and so um, it was a fantastic uh, learning experience for me from, from that side and then it was um a really exciting experience from a strategy point of view because this was a completely new position
0: um,
1: <laughs> and it was a really kind of establishing a framework for um, every region to have a communications plan and think about how um, the firm was talking about itself. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. I have I have a couple what I think are like kind of very quick questions yeah. that I want to kind of connect all of that okay. um, with kind of what you're doing now, and then using that to then talk about kind of like larger yeah. design criticism, design discourse trends. Um, and the first one is, and you started answering this already, but I'm curious about how that background, which is actually there's a lot in that that's very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, And very the same at at the same time. But how does that, how has that influenced you now being the chair of this program?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, I will say that, um, you know, maybe we could describe this as a series of pendulum swings to some degree. And maybe even coming back uh, to to the center um, by being the chair Mm. of this program now. Because I feel like, you know, I was... um, in this uh, kind of very ivory tower academic world, yeah. that I decided to leave, um, and then got into this much more commercial uh, world oh, that I also enjoyed. Um, however, you know, when that, when I got to you know, having spent several years in the commercial side of things, I really started to miss the more, I think, um, intellectually driven kinds of conversations and thinking and mm-hmm. writing yeah, I had yeah. been doing. So. One reason I came back as a student to SVA was I really wanted to try to melt those things back together. Uh, Yep, I know what that's like. Yeah, so that is a, and you know, I thought I wanted to probably get back on the editorial side of things. So, um, but um, you know, this uh, consultancy superscript really took off and we ended up having a lot of. Great work, and then um, I um, actually ended up working with this program at SVA um, okay. as an instructor um, and um, helping students with like, a final thesis show and mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. and um, I always can stay close to the program after graduation, and uh, then just one day I got a call from Alice Twimlow, yeah. who was the founding chair of the program, Just and she said, you know, I, my family and I decided to move to Amsterdam, and I think you should take over
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why? I don't, I don't. mean to put you on the spot with this question, but why? Why was she thinking about you at this uh, point? What did she want? Yeah. What type of person did she, did she want to kind of fill the role? Well, well that's
1: the thing. Is I think um, you know, uh, my uh, windy road career path, uh, which is a bit of a patchwork, actually. Um, Speaks to the profile of this job yeah, really yeah. well in that um, you have to um, you know engage with faculty and students um, from really, uh, uh, more of an academic, more of an intellectual perspective. Mm-hmm. However, you also have to be an administrator and like run the right. show. Yeah, and, yeah. Like uh, stay on top of budgets and um, hire people and uh, connect the dots um, in terms of. Uh, how things are managed, um, and uh, just be someone who knows how to manage people. Yeah. So I think um, you know I've had experience kind uh, of in, in both mm-hmm. those realms. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know enough that, uh, and I think um, you know actually I have a Alice's background is somewhat similar because uh, okay you know, she um, was trained as a historian. She now she, she now has a PhD. As yeah. Um, design historian, um, but she was working with AIGA um, right. for quite a while in uh, um, a role that was very much about programming yeah. and uh, kind of yeah. developing conferences and, you know, kind of getting things done. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. Um, so I think you need to be um, uh, in this kind of position as chair, someone who, uh, you know, can be a thinker and definitely, you know, at least engage with thinkers. Right, uh, but right. also, you know, how to get stuff done.
0: I mean that actually, that sets up exactly what my next question was, which I was curious. I, I, I've been listening back to these old, these the older interviews that I've done, and I realized that I always ask these multi-part questions, and I've been <laughs> trying to stop. And this is going to be one of those, okay. so I apologize. But I'm curious. I'm going to keep this to two parts. Okay. Who are the types of people that come into the program? What are their backgrounds on average, or or, or what what do they what have they done before, mm-hmm. and then the second part is, what do what where do people go after? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of what is that transition
1: mm-hmm. like? So I would say that uh, in terms of the current student body, most people who are coming in are coming from design backgrounds. Um, that means, okay. meaning they are um, working as designers um, or have already have a degree in design. Oh interesting um, yeah but the, the you know, cool thing about the program is that um, you know it's attracting people from a variety of design disciplines. So you know we have someone in the program now who's uh, got an NA in game design. We've got somebody oh, wow. who's uh, a furniture designer We've got someone we've got several people who have got a graphic design background um, someone who's uh, got a degree in architecture. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and we've had p- other people in the past, industrial designers. And so, um, you know, most people are coming with a design background. We have a few people who come in with more of an art history background, like I had.
0: Okay, yeah. That's um, kind of what I was curious, yeah. is how many people are were practicing designers or yeah. worked as designers versus people like yeah. yourself who were more history, yeah. academic, or
1: writing. Yeah, so I think we have, yeah, we have people that are designers who... Uh, want to learn how to write um, okay. or be better writers, let's say. And then we have people who are coming um, from maybe non-design backgrounds, but backgrounds related to design, like art history or maybe mm-hmm. more tech backgrounds um, who want to be able to use writing skills they may already have to write about design. So right. So that's where they meet. Okay. <laughs> so, so I would say um, you know, the uh, majority of people do have some design background or exposure okay. to design when they, when they come in, um, and, um, but, um, we have very, like I was saying, uh, even so we still have really diverse classes yeah, and, uh, yeah. um, also students coming from different places geographically, like often, right. like half the class is, um, from outside the U S and. Which is great, too. Yeah. And um, yeah. you know I think with the shift to the one-year program and the um, goal of having students who are um, coming back from the professional world, right. uh, uh, we have students who bring a lot of great experience to the table. And uh, you know, I think because they already have some experience as um, uh, professionals and they already have some have developed some sort of point of view about <laughs> uh, design. Um, they contribute a lot, and students really uh, learn a lot from each other, which is what you want in yeah, program. yeah. And all the classes are set up as seminars anyway, so the students are expected to you know be, be right, talking right. and participating um, in the classes as well. Um, but in terms of your, the second part of your question, where people go after, um, it's interesting, you know, people come here, uh, some of them come here specifically to do a career pivot, um, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the way I did, um, in that, you know, I've done this, I know I don't necessarily want to stay on this path, I'm going to come to this program and sort of, you know, uh, find a new path or reinvent my path, um, And you know, for some people, that means uh, coming here to develop the confidence to have more of a freelance life Um, Um, as writers. We've had a few people go on to do that, which is great. Um, We have other people who are coming from design backgrounds who see, uh, having been out in the world working, that to get to a level that they'd like to be at, and even at the same firm, they need to be more articulate, they Uh, need to be able to write a white paper, they need to be able to um, talk with clients at a higher level um, about more conceptual issues related to design or systems thinking, and so uh, we have people who uh, are planning to maybe go back to even the same firm, but want to go back and different capacity. Right. Interesting. Yeah.
0: That leads perfectly into what my next question was, because I talked to so I talked to Anne and Brian yeah. And both of them kind of I, I don't want to speak for them, but I feel like we're practicing designers and now their jobs are primarily in writing mm-hmm. or editorial. Mm-hmm. And so I was so I was kind of curious is it if if you kind of consider it again this is another two-part question do you kind of consider this a, a, a writing program? And then the second part, which is the bigger question is, what are the goals for the program yeah. as a whole? You know, what do you what are you trying to teach, you know, in the very kind of broadest okay. sense?
1: Yeah. So first part of your question, um, I often describe this program to people as a hybrid humanities and professional program. Oh, interesting. Because we, you know, just like, think design is both. Design mm-hmm. yeah. is a combination of art and practice. Um, yeah. This program is a similar combination of like founda- foundational, let's say traditional humanitarian, humanities kind of um, thinking uh, and we have a design history course, we have a critical theory course um, that you might find in a uh, humanities and yeah. program, yeah, yeah. but we also um, uh, bring up skills-based courses that you would find in more of a journalism program, a professional program. So um, very um, uh, skills-based writing courses. Uh, Mm -hmm. For example, Robin Poverman, who's the senior cultural reporter at the New York Times, teaches a fantastic writing boot camp kind of course. Oh, wow. Right out of the gate. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really rigorous course, um, but it is, um, very much about uh, writing and you know, being able to you know, edit yourself um, uh, versus any particular content mm-hmm. uh, or topical issues. Yeah, which is also nice because um, in courses like that, the students are able to bring their own content and choice of topic mm-hmm. to the to the course, and then apply these skills to that, and uh, that is. Uh, one trick of how we actually get students to uh, create a thesis in a year because they they can start working on aspects of their thesis through these skills based yeah. courses. Um, another course like that is um, an interviewing course that Adam Harrison oh. teaches. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and um, you know, as you know, there's an art to interviewing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know, interviewing is a skill that you absolutely need as a writer, um, huh. but it is also, even if you would not professionally define yourself as a writer, it is such a useful skill to have yeah. in a client meeting or um, in so many other kind of aspects of what you might do in a professional career related to design, um, interviewing um, people out in the field to just to get uh, first-hand uh, comments. Uh, for research, so yeah. so um, uh, another course is podcasting, and oh. yes, we teach podcasting I right did not here. Know that. Yeah, and um, uh, Leitha Malad um, has been teaching it from the beginning um, of the the program, and uh, she is a re- seasoned producer. She used to be the producer for Kurt Anderson's Studio Three Hundred and Sixty oh. show, um, I love which 30%. is great. Brand- Yeah, and um, and he comes back from time to time as a guest critic and uh, now she is working on a really exciting show with um, Jeremy Scahill um, called called Intercepted and um, it is um, an offshoot of uh, his website called The Intercept. Oh, okay, I knew that sounded
0: familiar. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: so... so she uh, is up to interesting things herself, but she teaches uh, oh, an intensive great. podcasting course. And it's a great course for many reasons. Um, but not not uh, just because students learn like, uh, some, some technical skills about podcasting and how yep. to use Pro Tools software. And, right. um, a recording kit and, um, and the laid out multiple yeah. tracks, which yep. is great, a great skill to have these days. Um, but they also learn about um, writing for the ear. And, um, you know, the interviewing that they have learned with Adam certainly plays into this course as well. Yeah. So, so um, these are kind of skills-based courses that we, that we have. Um, and um, I would say, you know, the, to your uh, big question, which was about the, the goals of the, yeah. of the program, um, you know, we really want students to leave here um, equipped to – um, think critically. That is, like, yeah. <laughs> objective number one. Think critically about the uh, designed environment and um, you know, our primary medium. I would say is uh, writing. That's what we mm-hmm. mostly traffic in. But um, but um, you know, to uh, support writing, you need excellent research skills. So we talk a lot about research methodologies and uh, the kinds of primary research, um, including interviewing, but also like archival research oh, that, yeah. um, supports, um, uh, you know, reporting and mm-hmm. writing and, uh, and then, um, you know, basically having the, through your, um, research and, uh, then because hopefully by the time you leave here, you're, um, you know how to write and, uh, in a way that is accessible to a broad audience. I mean, yeah. we uh, really uh, enforce that. Um, okay. Clear, clear, engaging writing, um, and uh, you know, for the person on the street. Um,
0: okay, that know. was one. This is a question that I had, that yeah. I was saving for later. Um, but I was curious about how, how you personally, but then also the program in general, thinks about the idea of audience. That's something that yes. I. That comes up in all of Absolutely. these interviews, and it's something that I wrestle with a lot about, you know, who who is design criticism even for, yeah. and, you know, is it for the profession yep. to kind of, you know, move the profession forward as a group? Is it for people outside to mm-hmm. learn and better understand yep. these kind of artifacts? Um, and it's, I mean, it's both, but... I don't know it's just that's something i think about all the time
1: <laughs> absolutely and that audience question is so key and i think it's um it's a north star question of sorts when before you start any project yeah uh, really any project, um even as a designer um uh like who's the audience and so uh i think there's um for design people who are writing about design and there's been two main audiences um there's a, a professional audience uh, <laughs> okay. which is you know, let's say you might call it a trade audience um uh, and right. there are magazines publication journals that are geared towards that audience which is a you know a specialized a specialist okay. audience an informed audience and um so you know there's a way you would write for that audience that's different than um Way you would write for a, a general audience, um, and uh, we, you know, we um, do both here. I think it's more of a, a question of um, just understanding that concept of audience, and uh, and you know, for example, if you are writing a writing a piece for architects newspaper you're not gonna need to necessarily identify Frank Gehry. Right, you know? right. However, if, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't need yeah. to say architect Frank Gary because yeah. everybody reading it certainly knows who Frank Gary is, so, um, however, if you're writing a piece for, um, you know, even uh, even for the New York Times, you yeah. would probably want to you know, have that identifier up, right. up front. Right. So, um, you know, I think, our, our goal really in this program is to um, make sure that students can write for that more general audience. Interesting. Um, I think uh, a lot of them do still, um, or will, write for the more specialist audience that relates yeah. to maybe their own design uh, education. Um, you know, one of our alums is a senior editor of architects newspaper right oh, now. Okay. You know, and uh, I actually... Um, went to be managing editor there after I graduated from this program. So, oh. so yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, we do have people that certainly go into that more um, like uh, professional editorial yeah. kind of path, and there's value in that. I mean, I do think there's a a, a discourse that needs to be happening, and uh, you know, people who are um, clear thinkers, good writers, um, help. That kind of discourse within yeah. a field, yeah. and that's you know, really essential for like a field being able to you know, evolve and move right. forward, right? right. Um, however, I think it is equally important to you know, have uh, writers who can speak to the general public, yeah. you know, yeah. and have people. Um, yeah, I think you know, over the last decade, for sure, there's been a kind of explosion in uh, kind of writing about design and uh, people general public's awareness of yep, yep. design mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, we want to have that critical thinking thread yeah, yeah, running through yeah, that yeah, writing yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: yeah, you completely, I've been, I, I've i been trying to formulate this question in my head for like the last, I don't know, like 15 minutes or so as you've been answering this because it's been making me think of, of, you know, there are more people who understand design, and probably more people who are talking about design than ever before. You know, yeah. it is this thing that kind of everyone understands yeah. at, a, at a base level what it is. Um, and maybe I still don't know exactly how to phrase it, but there's... I'm not sure how to phrase this question exactly, but there's, you know, you can kind of look at something formally mm-hmm. and and just kind of how it looks and how it is, but then there's also that other level, yes. um, I don't want to say like a critical level, but like a cultural level mm-hmm. or a, a process level or something, yeah. you know, kind of all those other ways. And how do you, and this is such a big question, but how do you... You know, teach people or train people to, to understand or to connect those levels. Because yeah. I think, I know, for me personally, when I started this, I kind of subconsciously was viewing them as two separate things. Mm-hmm. And I was done with the mm-hmm. formal level. Yes. I felt like that we had mastered. Yeah, right. And I was like, we didn't need to talk about all these other things mm-hmm. around design. Mm-hmm. And as I've been doing these interviews and as I've been doing my own research and thinking about this, realizing that you can't separate those at all. And, right. I, you know, I, I knew that, but it, I was kind of putting this division. Yeah. You know, so how do you, how do you think about bringing those together? Or how do you teach your students to bring them together or to write in a way that someone who doesn't know anything about this can understand, you know, they can see it, they see yeah, that, and then yeah. how do you connect it to, you know, all this other stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that's
0: like a huge... That's, that's
1: a really good question, yeah. though. I mean, and I think, um, you know, uh, so much of the design writing that the public has seen, especially online in the last 10 years, has been coming from, you know, much more of that kind of um, formal place you described, <laughs> of being like, you know, oh, that's a fantastic color, or, right, like, you know, right, oh, this right. is like looks fantastic, and it's really, um, you know, that uh, only that facet of design is art that is yeah. being responded yeah. to, and, uh, you know, obviously that's um, a fairly superficial level, uh, and, you know, I think that the key to connecting the art side of design to the, the uh, this other side of the design that you were describing and you know, it's the, the hardworking side of design, you know, yeah, right? yeah, design has a job to do, you know, right, design right, has to right. be functional. So hopefully it can be beautiful at the same time as functional, but yeah. you know, design needs to go to work every day. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, how do you, um, talk about kind of both those sides of things? And I think, um, one key to that is for a, from a writer's perspective is, um you know empathy and this idea mm-hmm. of putting yourself in the place of the user <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, giving uh, you know through your writing uh, um, a reader who may be the user also like the the words and tools to like, articulate their experience of using a right. design right and uh, being able to I think most people will, know kind of instinctually if uh, a design is good or bad. Just they'll have a feeling oh like um I'll, you know this feels great in my hand or this uh, is working yeah, well. Yeah. Or um oh, they also know um, on the other hand if you know something's mm-hmm. off. Yeah you know, this isn't this uh isn't functioning like I need it to. Um and but maybe they don't really know how to um describe it or put it into kind of a bigger context. Right. And I think, um, by writing as if you are a a user, um, you Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, uh, give voice to, to that side of design that, uh, I think, uh, you know, hopefully anybody can engage with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do you, what do you think is the, the value of a kind of critical discourse like that for the profession? You know, not even not thinking about everybody, not thinking about a general audience, but yeah. just for the practitioners, for the people who yeah. are doing this. What is the value of having people who are kind of looking at these things kind of deeply and theoretically?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, um, let's say at a basic level, there's an accountability <laughs> issue yeah. of um, being able to, like for example, you know, Alexandra doing a review of a building, for example. Um, being able to say, you know, okay, well, you know, you got this right or this works well, but um, this doesn't, or this this feels like a compromise and maybe it was, and I think of, um, being able to, uh, call out those things, uh, Mm -hmm. and have a conversation about them is, is fantastic and illuminating and valuable for everything that happens afterwards, you know, and, um, so, you know, maybe it's a conversation about materials and why some tile is, you know, looking, uh, like it's already, um, uh, weather-beaten, you know, a yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. project, or, you know, so I think, um, you know, there's sort of a, a conversation that is, a, you know, a kind of critical takes um, that have practical impacts mm-hmm. in, a, in a professional discourse that um, is interesting, but from a more, um, with regard to kind of a more theoretical um Uh, vein and criticism I think that has a larger project of connecting uh architecture and design to to culture at large you know and uh tying what's happening now back to this big program of civilization you know and I think um by using theory I mean I think you know I will say um in my personal experience, you know, there was a kind of hot and heavy theory moment in the I don't know, late 90s. Yep, uh, yeah. When I was in, yeah. Uh, in school, that was like it was almost kind of that like, theory happening at the expense of uh, other kinds of
0: uh-huh, yeah.
1: writing or investigation. And uh, me coming from this archaeology background, um, I got sometimes I would get frustrated with it, frankly, because I would, you know, as an archaeologist, you're, like, facing stuff cold. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just trying to figure out what this is, much less apply some feminist theory to it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get <laughs> right. to an empirical understanding of what I'm working with right now. Right. And, um, yeah, certainly, you know, ultimately you get beyond that point and can start to think about it in this, like, broader cultural context. And then that's when it becomes interesting to use theory as a series of lenses to help frame up a conversation that you're interested in having. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I have two questions related yeah. to that. Um, and we're starting to get short on time, so these will start to wrap it up also. But I'm, I'm curious about how you think about, not necessarily the inverse of that, but how, you, how what is the place for theory and criticism and that kind of discourse in the studio Mm -hmm. for practitioners so Mm -hmm. not not necessarily people on the outside writing about it but as you're actually making
1: yeah
0: where does that kind of fit in or how do those things start to where do you see those things kind of coming together
1: yeah i mean honestly i feel like um it is uh valuable in the sense i think in a similar sense um as it is valuable to a writer to have a designer um, feel like they are connected to a larger project, <laughs> you know, and that they are, and I think this is um, probably incumbent on like a uh, design leader, creative head to sort of uh, you know, uh, frame yeah. up this conversation, yeah. you know, yeah. correctly, so it doesn't feel like it's sort of, uh, you know, the fly on the soup so to speak, that you know it has right, to be feel right. like relevant and yeah. related and uh uh integrated I think into uh uh the practice of a project. But um I think it really adds meaning yeah. to what designers do every day. And I think um it also is an opportunity for designers to reflect on what they're doing and um just in their own minds kind of stay critical. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're, uh, you, know, you know, talking over lunch about some writer from the Frankfurt School and right. consumer yeah. culture, yeah. you know, maybe that's going to like make you reflect on like your material choices and issues of right. recycling or sustainability or whatever it may be, you know? So I think it's hard to predict how it will um, impact or uh, unfold in a particular project, but I think it certainly uh, enriches, it can only enrich something.
0: I agree. I agree a hundred percent. But how do you get uh, this question is going to sound so pretentious, and I don't mean it that way. But how do you get? I, you know, I, I'm a graphic designer. I come from a graphic design background, and th- I have seen this is this is also a blanket statement. I don't mean this is all graphic designers, but there's also there's often in the graphic design profession, I found a resistance or a uh not not even a conscious resistance but a uninterest Mm -hmm. in theory and Mm -hmm. criticism and and I think that often starts with design education where you have your history classes and your your studio classes and those don't talk to each other yeah um and the studio classes are the fun ones because that's where you know you make stuff yeah but you know I, I often see just an uh uninterest in that yeah you know and it's just pure interest in form-making and in color and in, you know, a, a class critique mm-hmm.
1: that is looking
0: at the kerning of the typography instead yep. of kind of looking at, you know, what this stuff means. How do you get someone interested? And I don't mean that as, like, forcing it on them. Yep. But, you know, how do you... I, I don't know how to say it without it sounding, yeah, you know, well, preachy. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, it is, again, sort of this question of... Accessibility um, because I think that's in some ways the turn off of mm-hmm. reading theory is yeah. that it's not uh, immediately transparent what the writer's trying to get across or what right. the message is. And so, you know, it is um, often, I mean, uh, even if you're you know, used to reading theory and, um, you know, uh, it can be a struggle. So I think. Yeah. That I think you have to kind of go in with the idea that, you know, this is something that is, uh, you know, we're going to chew on, you know? Right. And it's not necessarily something that um, we're going to – it's going to be immediately uh, obvious and uh, easy to get. But one example comes to mind, and I hope I'm uh, uh, not misquoting, um, but – I believe it was um, Joseph Albers who uh, asked Paul Rand if he read Art Criticism. And this was when Rand was a young guy and, um, you know, doing interesting work. But uh, I think Albers was a sort of mentor to him. And uh, uh, he said, you know, do you read Art Criticism? And Rand said, no. And Albers just said, pity. So, I mean, I think... The idea is that
0: huh.
1: you, I think it's almost uh, incumbent on a professional to make time to reflect on your practice. And yeah. how you do that is a personal project. Right. Um, but I think a lot of people can find some uh, uh, meaning in theory if they are willing to uh, you know, take on the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, um, you know, it's uh, just from a um, practical standpoint, it's like it's fun to do it as a, as a group, you know? Just like, um, you know, yeah, maybe right. this sounds like uh, uh, too uh, you know, idealistic to imagine like people would get together after work to read some theory. Like yeah, right. we, um, yeah. Know, we actually, yeah. for that Rockwell Spectacle project I mentioned in the beginning, we did that. And oh, interesting! We did it because we knew we were working with a fraught topic, of mm-hmm. spectacle. Mm-hmm. And if you know your theory, you know there's a, a book called "Society of the Spectacle" by right. 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 <laughs> and he right. sort of uh, you know commandeered this word "spectacle" in design discourse. Yeah. And we were trying to take it back in some way. Yeah, interesting. And uh, you know, I mean, not out of any specific reason other than we felt like this word was exactly the right word. We wanted to. Used to describe these events, um, but we knew we had to uh, kind of, uh, start by addressing the way most people in the design world understood that word, and kind of right. taking and saying, "Okay, look, here's mm-hmm. here's how the board mm-hmm. approached it, mm-hmm. and here's what he meant by it, but here's this other side to it that we would like to explore." Yeah. So. Um, You know, I think, and, you know, we had a a blast. We would get together over drinks and talk about, you know. uh,
0: (laughs) Sounds so fun. Yeah, Yeah, it was fun, and
1: it was sort of like, um, even if you're um, not in school and not in our one-year MA program, um, uh, taking our critical theory course, you know, you can still get into this stuff. um, And um, it can still feel like you're back in school, which I think is, for me, at least, always a good feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question I want to I want to just kind of add to that quickly as I watched your, um, I guess it was your thesis when you were a student here about kind of, you know, designer brands. And I think there's a certain branding element to being, to being a designer who's also a theorist. You know, I think that's part of personal brand. And I, watching that and preparing for this, I was thinking about how, you know, how this podcast and this project is part of, you know, a way of, a way that I'm kind of branding the type of designer that I want to be. And I think that's there's a certain absolutely. element to that of, you know, designers who think about their work very academically. And that's part of, yeah. Yeah. you know, how you pitch yourself to clients in a kind of practical way, yeah. actually.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it ultimately is about uh, being able to uh, talk about big ideas mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, Big ideas that are inspiring to clients, yeah, yeah. and it's inspiring to everybody. And being yeah. able to talk about big ideas in a um, compelling, engage, engaging way is uh, very exciting. And I think um, if you're the kind of designer who just wants to talk about specs and like the right. quality of the paper or whatever, um, you know, uh, you're not—you may not get called for the, the most right. exciting right. projects. Right. So. so yeah. So I think um, you know there is a, there's an advantage to being able to uh, engage with that with the discourse at that level. Yeah. Um, um, but also, if you're smart, to not um, uh, try to use it to show how smart you are, but to actually right, right. Uh, yeah, get your ideas across. Yeah. And I think um, you know, for example, that's something that. I think Braca Ingalls architects, you know, <laughs> yeah. so so well. I mean, he's sort of become uh, a master of it, and uh, um, you know, I think there are yes. designers that uh, use theory as a shield sometimes uh, to, you know, um, it's sort of a replacement for. I mean, it's sort of like the uh, the uh, the black cape of, you know, oh yeah, uh, design or architecture profession. You know, it's like uh, yeah, you can talk this talk, um, that nobody may be able to really like understand what you just said, but you sound, you know, quote unquote smart. Right. That's (laughs) interesting. Yeah. And that that really doesn't get you very far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that kind of, you know, the dark side of that actually. (laughs) Um, My last question for you though is, you know, what are, as somebody who's, who's kind of worked on both sides. I really like the way that you described your career as a pendulum and then being here is kind of the middle. And I actually think that that's a good way to describe it. And as somebody who's sitting in in that kind of middle Mm -hmm. place right now, what are the, and this is a question that I've asked, I think probably everyone that I've talked to, but what are the issues or the topics or the debates even Mm -hmm. that you see happening right now that designers should be engaged
1: in? Oh my gosh, yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I think uh, designers need to be engaged in everything because everything is design. So, you know, I think uh, <laughs> yeah. that sounds a little bit flip, but um, I think, um, you know, it's uh, it's true. I think there's obviously uh, with, there's so many, urgent issues that uh, face the world today, um, you know, um, climate change mm-hmm. is one, and energy issues is one, and I think, um, you know, there's so many um, aspects of design, even if you're not necessarily someone who's in, engaged in, yeah. you know, fields that speak directly to uh, you know, issues of energy, perhaps, but there's, you um, just a larger kind of question about how we live sustainably today I right. think is probably right. you know, very top of my list. Um, and I think um, about you know I'm interested in uh, consumer culture and uh, mm. you know how design is uh, marketed and um, and yeah. I think you know there's certainly uh, more responsibility that needs to be. Um, happening in terms of how that works. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, to, to me, often um, to pick up d- design publications that are so focused on, like, luxury or, you know, yeah. I think yeah. that, that kind of back to that conversation we were having about, like, the art side of design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there is a place for that in the world, but it, it uh, frustrates me too. Yeah. Because yeah. It, um, uh, I think it's it uh, can be a distraction for designers.
0: Yeah. And for so many people, the term designer is, a, is yes. c- a completely connected to exactly. luxury. You know, a designer bag, a designer jacket. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I,
0: that's interesting. So
1: I think being able to shift the conversation um, away from that, you know, not saying eliminate it, I'm just saying, like, Let's put it in its place. Right, Um, is an important one to have, and um, and uh, yeah, I think our students are um, always tormented by uh, the question that I and instructors ask them about their thesis research, which is so what.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) and I talked about that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and. We are always pushing people in our program to uh, think about and then explain why what Mm -hmm. they're working on has relevance today. And I think, um, you know, you can go down so many fantastic uh, uh, rabbit holes um, with design or history and um, it's fun, but I think uh, we are in a place in the world today where we need to be we need to be thinking about uh, what's important and urgent, and designers have a big role in addressing mm-hmm. yeah. that. And thinking about it.
0: That's great. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for talking to me. This Thank was, you. was so it was my great. And this was so interesting.
1: I we loved oh. it.
0: This episode was recorded on March 10th, 2017 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.